Section 4 of The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 8, May 1897. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Read by Julie Burks. The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 8, May 1897, Section 4, The Colby Girls, by Charles Bryant Howard. For nearly two days, a genuine southeaster had been blowing steadily with cold, driving rain. It still raged when, early in the afternoon of the second day, the Colby girls sat talking sadly in their tiny living room, but it served only to emphasize a gloom whose cause was far more serious than wind or weather. Indeed, today these two girls, so-called even at fifty, by the charitable New England idiom, were confronted by a trouble that threatened to change the entire course of their peaceful life current. Since the death of their father ten years ago, the sisters had lived alone in their little doll's house of a cottage, remote from the seaboard town whose limits claimed it, yet perfectly content with each other's society and supported comfortably by their garden and by the most microscopic of incomes. But now the unexpected had happened. An old family debt had come to light. The creditor, living in a far-off city, had brought the law to bear, and this afternoon they had decided that the old house would have to go. Susan had even gone to the length of imagining that they would pull it down. It may be mean-spirited, she confessed, but I'd hate to see other folks that ain't Kobe's or nothing to do with them living here. It don't seem right. No, it don't. The two troubled spinsters heaved a mutual sigh and went on with their sewing in thoughtful silence. Liza, the elder by a year or two, was stouter than her sister and of a more easy-going temperament, satisfied to allow Susan to run things. For, as she said, if Susan wants to do the ordering around and think of ideas, why, I don't, so I guess we're all right. They came of a long line of sturdy Puritan stock and were as healthy and strong as girls of twenty, doing a long day's work outdoors and in without a thought of weariness. But though living on the shore all their lives, their nautical experience was limited to an occasional row around to the village in their weather-beaten old dory, a relic of their father's fishing days, and neither of them had ever set foot on board another craft of any description. It was for the little cove in the front of the cottage where the dory was moored that Susan started out when, a little later in the afternoon, a sudden burst of sunlight reminded her that she hadn't had a breath of air for two days. Meanwhile, Liza, intent on finishing her work, sat placidly in the house, oblivious of the fact that the afternoon was fast wearing away, while her finely shaped head, just touched with gray, nodded and jerked over her sewing. About five o'clock, however, she was awakened from her torpor by the opening of the door and a rush of fresh air and damp skirts that heralded her sister's appearance. "'My goodness, Liza!' 
Susan exclaimed. There's a ship outside of floating along all wrecked to pieces. I've been watching them more than an hour from the bluff, and the folks on her don't seem to be able to do one thing to save themselves. She's going straight for Spouting Rock, and they'll all be drowned if she hits it. Now you don't say so, exclaimed Eliza, by this time so aroused as to stop rocking. Better run down and tell the folks in town, hadn't you? Land sakes, there ain't half time for me to get down there and then men get away around the bluff in a boat before she hits the rock. No, Liza, you and I gotta take the dory and row out and help them folks. You hurry up now. Get something for your head and come along. It ain't a big ship, and I guess the dory'll hold all there be. Don't you waste time talking, but hurry up and get ready. Oh, dear wailed Liza, flying around with unwanted activity. If this ain't the craziest, is my hat on straight? Don't wear a hat, snatching it away and substituting a red tablecloth. Here, take this. Now come along. The two hurried to the beach and pushed off the dory, clambering in and each taking her usual seat with alacrity born of long practice, and soon their stalwart arms were sending the old boat toward the mouth of the cove in handsome style. The cove was protected from the wind and was calm as a pond, but outside the sea was running strongly and, though evidently subsiding, was bursting against the foot of the bluff with steady thunder and rush, sending superb clouds of snowy foam far aloft. "'Where's the ship?' inquired Eliza over her shoulder. "'Way out from the point,' Susan answered. "'You keep a-pullin' and I'll steer.' The bluff she had ascended lay between the cove and the village, so that the vessel, whatever she was, probably could not have been seen by the villagers. Across the cove was an angle of land known as the Point, and beyond this extended miles and miles of marsh and sandhills without a house in sight. Around the Point, some distance out, lay a solitary reef marked with a spindle known as the Spouting Rock. There had not been a wreck in the vicinity within the memory of man, and a lifeboat had never been thought of. The sisters rowed steadily on, Susan occasionally turning her head and altering the course with a deft stroke or two, till they were out of the cove and on the open sea. The wind, while still blowing smartly, had shifted somewhat in an inshore direction. The sea had gone down considerably, but was high enough to set the dory pitching furiously, bringing her flat bottom down between the waves with resounding smacks that sent dismay to Liza's soul. But her protestations were cut short by Susan. "'If it do go to pieces,' said she reassuringly, "'we could both swim when we was youngsters, "'and I guess we could hang on to the pieces till we get ashore,' a comforting prospect that had hardly its intended effect on Liza's spirits." She had no idea of disobeying orders, however, but pulled bravely on with long, clean strokes that soon brought them alongside the ship. On inspection, the craft in question proved to be a fair-sized schooner, evidently a yacht. The main mast had broken off near the deck and lay slanting-wise over the crushed rail with the topmast underwater and a wonderful mess of ropes and canvas making the vessel careen slightly toward the dory. The foremast, minus its topmast, was still standing with the foresail neatly furled, while the jibs lay in a heap on the forward deck. 
All this is told, however, would have been Greek to our heroines, who knew no more about sails and sailing vessels than they did about sampans. What impressed them far more than the vessel's crippled condition was the fact that not a soul was on her decks. Well, marked Eliza at last, after they had watched the rolling and dismantled yacht for a minute in silence. "'Pears to me we might as well go home again.' "'Yes, I suppose we might as well,' replied Susan. "'Dreadful shiftless them sailor folks must be to go off and leave a nice boat like that to be broke up. She ain't floating in the water any lower than she ought or, it seems to me. I suppose—' "'Mercy, what's that?' They had allowed their dory to drift nearer the wrecked mainmast, little dreaming, poor ladies, of the unseen dangers beneath the surface, and a heavier roll than usual of the yacht had brought the cross trees on the mast up against the dory's bottom, which they pierced like an eggshell, letting in a rush of water. "'Goodness gracious me, Eliza, we're going to sink!' cried Susan. "'Get right out of this boat quick as you can!' Liza wasted no time in words, but launched herself bodily on to the mast, followed by her sister, just as the dory filled. It was not difficult, then, for two active women, with muscles trained by tree-climbing years before, to scramble up the sloping mast by means of the sail hoops and rigging, and eventually they found themselves gazing at each other on the yacht's deck in dismayed silence, holding on to the broken mast. "'Dear me, says, said Susan at last. "'What we be to do now?' adding with grim humor. "'Ain't seen you get around so spry for twenty years, Liza.' "'Guess I wasn't much spryer than you was,' replied Liza, despairingly shaking her skirts. "'My land, ain't I wet?' "'Salt water won't do you a mite of harm,' comforted Susan. "'Tain't any more comfortable than if it was fresh,' lamented Liza. "'And we've lost the dory. "'For pity's sake, Susan!' "'What be we to do? Suppose we'll be drowned?' "'Now, I ain't going to give up yet, Liza. "'I guess this boat won't sink, "'and she ain't going towards Spouting Rock any more either. "'Seems to me the wind's changed. "'We're moving along the, towards the point now. "'That's what we're doing. "'If we get amongst them big breakers on the point, "'there won't be enough left of us to lay out, Susan, "'and you know it.' "'Liza had begun to assert herself. We ain't going on to the point if I can help it. I'm going to try and sail into the cove. I am. Now, don't you say a word. You just keep cool and listen. You see that big heap of old sails there? Pointing toward the bow. Seems to me, if we can get one of them partway up, the wind will blow that end of the boat round and then blow us right home. You just go and see if you can't pull one of them up, and I'll try and find out how that wheel works. Seems to me they steer big boats with the wheel. Liza obediently picked her way to the foremast. My land, I never did see such a jumble of ropes in all my life, she called. Which do you suppose I ought to pull? Keep a pulling them until you find out, returned Susan, who was turning the wheel first this way and then that, in a vague hope of its having some definite effect. Liza jerked on various ropes until, at last, an end of a wet jib emerged from the heap. "'That's it!' called Susan. "'Keep a pulling!' Liza hauled away manfully, and the heavy, soaked canvas rose till the wind caught it, and it puffed out sideways like a balloon. The yacht began to feel the effect and to slowly swing away. 
I can't get it up no further, called Liza. What'll I hitch this rope to? Hitch it to that fence there, replied Susan, and Liza tied the halyard with a conglomeration of extraordinary knots to the rail. I do know how sailor folk makes knots, she said, gingerly making her way aft. I tied it like I do a clothesline. I guess it'll do, answered Susan. We're going ahead now, but somehow I can't seem to do anything with this wheel. Perhaps it'd go better if all that mess of stuff was away, suggested Liza, indicating the mainmast and sail. Sure enough, twould, said Susan. Wonder if they got a hatchet. You might open them doors and see, pointing to the cabin companionway. Liza succeeded, after many efforts, in opening the doors, and very slowly descended the steps. She soon reappeared with a silver-handled carving knife in her hand, and under her arm a hungry-looking yellow cat, who was telling her tale of woe in prolonged wails. "'Now, Kitty,' she said, setting the cat down, "'don't be scared. We'll, be, we'll take care of you. My, wouldn't it mean to leave a poor cat shut up down there? I couldn't find no hatchet, but I guess this ought to do,' holding up the knife." My, there's a sight of nice things in there. Pictures and looking glasses and sofas and a lot of elegant glass things all smashed to bits. She began sawing at the ropes while Pussy licked out a dry spot and endeavored to improve her appearance. Glad you found the cat, observed Susan. We need wander home. Oh, my! For Liza's efforts suddenly resulted in the whole mass, mast, boom, sail, and all, going overboard with a prodigious noise and drifting astern, while the main sheet snapped with a bang. The yacht instantly righted and began to move ahead more briskly, the wind by this time blowing directly inshore. "'Well, ain't that surprising,' said Liza. "'But it's a mighty shame to lose all them nice pieces of wood and ropes. "'Where's that cat?' "'She went downstairs like a yaller streak when that noise come,' said Susan." who was working vigorously at the wheel. Oh, goody, she cried. I guess I got it now. See, you turn it this way, and the boat goes that way, and to another way, so Liza will be all right. And so they were. Ten minutes later, the little schooner, yawing slightly as the seas swept along her length, but still keeping a good course, sailed by the dreaded point and into the smooth water of the cove. And just as the sun went down, she struck with a gentle thump, a few yards from the beach, where she lay fast aground on the sand. Susan sat plump down on the rail. We did it, didn't we? she said. Oh, my, I'm all of a tremble. So be I, said Eliza. But if I don't get on dry land right off, I'll have a fit. We can't get no weather when we be, so let's wait. Come, kitty, kitty. Kitty appeared and was tucked under Liza's protecting arm. And then the two brave old ladies climbed over the side and waded ashore, thankful and happy that their perilous adventure was comfortably ended. In this assurance, however, they were disappointed, for a telegram dispatched that evening by the village postmaster to the yacht's owner, a rich New Yorker, brought down upon them such a flood of legal business as almost turned their heads. Indeed, Liza was moved to declare that it was worse than being wrecked all over again. But eventually, in consideration of their waving claim of salvage, which, bless their dear ignorant hearts, they never had any idea of making, a check from the generous-hearted owner was handed them, 
which made Susan positively scream with amazement, while Liza stopped rocking and gasped, We be the richest Colby's as ever was! And we can buy a cow and a new dory and keep the house, and Liza Jane Colby, we've got a home now for the rest of our lives! And a mighty good cat, said Liza, beginning to rock again. End of section four.